before uh, before I run my intro reel. And um, I can see that we're I can see that we're live, and some people are starting to show up. There we go. All right, let me let me play the reel. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome. Hello, everyone, and welcome. And today I'm joined by Brendan Kumarasamy from Master Talk. Did I pull that one off okay? You got it right, David. Great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Brendan, uh, you know, you're a first time guest on my show. And, uh, you know, I, I found you somehow networking online, maybe on LinkedIn, and, and ended up on your YouTube channel. And I watched a few of your videos and I, I, I really thought it was, it was fantastic. Uh, so I wanted to have you on, but for those who don't know you, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and tell us what you do and, and how the YouTube channel played into all this? Yeah, absolutely, dude. First of all, thanks for the kind words. Such an honor to be on the show. Thanks for having me. So yeah, you know, for me, it was business school. So I, I went to college. I thought I was going to be an employee. I wasn't really looking to be a business owner. Funny enough, David, I studied in accounting of all things. That's what I have a bachelor's degree awesome. in. So I thought I was going to be a numbers guy. And as I'm doing these, 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 uh, these accounting exercises, taking these classes, I start competing in these things called case competitions, David. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age are playing rugby or baseball or basketball or some other sport, you probably wouldn't see me playing. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students in that program, mostly just to help them get better at speaking. And I accidentally got really good at coaching other people how to do it. And it led to the Master Talk YouTube channel at the beginning and later on the coaching practice because I thought to myself, no one's really sharing this advice for free on the internet. So I just start making videos online and it leads into what it is today. Um, I'm very familiar with uh, case study competitions as a sport. Oh, yeah. I used to compete in that when I was in university as well. And, oh, really? And so, yeah, <clears throat> man, I loved it. You know, you and for those who who don't know who are watching the channel, it's basically a bunch of you know business schools will collect together a team, usually four students typically, and and you you have a time limit, so maybe it's like three hours or something, and they give you a package, and it might be a set of financial statements and a synopsis about a company and a problem. And you have to strategize the solution. You have to create, you know, a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, uh, I'll date myself a little bit. Or slides made of acetate, you know, like that you put on an overhead projector. And um, and then you have to present in front of a panel of judges who are usually some professors and maybe some experienced business people from the community that have been invited in. And you and the other teams make your presentations. And the presentations might be 45 minutes or an hour where you outline your strategy and and what you think the company should do. And then these, you know, wise people that are watching you score you and, and decide who the winner is. And so I, I thought it was fun because it was like a, a quick challenging thing, you know, to figure out the problem and, and to make a compelling presentation. And like you, uh, I, 
I enjoyed, you know, doing the presentation part. Um, and so, so you, you, you did the case study work, you were making these presentations and you found out that you were good at coaching others. And so now this is your business today. First of all, David, you know, I've been on hundreds of podcasts and interviews. you're the first person to actually understand what a case company is. I'm a little shocked right now. I mean, you explained this so perfectly. Hey, <laughs> so this <I'm> <laughs> channel is exceptional. We talk about exceptional topics <clears throat> and things you won't hear anywhere else. So uh, that's the one thing I always promise. I, I love that. I mean, you clearly delivered right straight out of the gate, David. So, so yes, uh, you're right. So, so what happened was... I mostly, and, and you know this very well, but for your audience, because when I started guesting on podcasts, nobody knows what a case competition, so I have to use analogies like sports for nerds for people to understand it. So as you know very well, case competitions are designed as a recruitment tool for jobs. So a lot of executives are not just judges, they're company sponsors. So they'll come mm. sponsor the competitions to see who's really good and they'll recruit them into companies. So I was never trying to make this a business. I just started coaching people. The first 50 people I'd coached actually, David, was for free because I was just helping the case competition teams get better at speaking so they'd win competitions and represent the school better. But the reason it turned into a business later, I worked as a management consultant at IBM a few years before I went full-time into business. But during my tenure there, I met my business partner at a conference who's 20 years older than me. And he's the person who turned me on to executive coaching. He said, you coach a lot of high level executives and they'll pay you thousands of dollars. And I said, why would they pay me money? And then he gave me my first 10 clients in and I went off from there. Awesome. And so, so when you're working with one of your executive clients, like what does one of those sessions sound like if, if we were to eavesdrop, what would you be talking about and what would you be, you know, would they be practicing with you? What goes on there? Yeah, absolutely, David. So, so you know, the way I explain this is kind of like the difference between applying for a gym membership and having one versus having a personal trainer. So when you have a gym membership, you're paying, what, 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month. But do we really show up to that gym every month? Not really. A lot of us don't if you look at the numbers. But when you got a personal trainer, you have no choice to show up. And, and what right. my wise friend told me so well is that information should always be free, which is my mission. There's a lot of people who watch my channel who can't afford my rates, right? It's more for them to, to watch and enjoy my content. But implementation is the fee. So what I'll do is I'll hold the, the hands of my clients to make sure that they master a lot of the fundamentals of presentation techniques. And that's smiling. That's pausing effectively. How do we pace? A lot of people speak too quickly when they communicate ideas. It's vocal tones, right? It's monotone. A lot of people, when they speak, so how do you vary those tones? And then finally doing them all at the same time. That's what it looks like to work with us. We, we've got people here tuning in from all over. David uh, says, aloha from Honolulu. Um, says he always appreciates the knowledge that gets shared on the channel. Good to see you, David. And uh, Victor's tuning in from Nottingham over in the UK. So look, we, we've got a global audience here uh, today to see you, Brendan. Um, and so... And so, like, because I've got you here, I think that uh, one of the things that we should be doing, you just mentioned, you know, pausing, <clears throat> vocal intonation. You know, I remember I took a theater arts class back in high school, and I remember learning the difference between pronunciation and enunciation and all that kind of stuff when you're trying to be heard and be understood. So what, what would be one of the sort of key things that people get wrong most of the time? 
Yeah, absolutely, David. You know, for me, the biggest mistake, surprisingly, is consistency, right? It's how do we be consistent? We don't reward the person who goes to the gym once. We're impressed. We're admired by the person. Or rather, we admire the person who goes to the gym 180 days out of the year. That's really the key. And the problem with speaking is two things. One, we don't know what to practice. Like, what do I actually work on? Whereas in fitness, it's a lot very easy to quantify what you do. Do squats, push-ups, things like that. And the second piece is measuring the progress that we're making. Mm. Because the measurement is really difficult in communication, what does being a great speaker even mean? That vagueness in the detail of communication makes people not want to practice. And that's really the biggest mistake I see is people don't have a systematic, consistent approach, which we'll talk about today on how to solve for that, obviously. But it's really like, what are the daily practices that we can do to work on our communication, much like a muscle that we're building in the gym, so that the progression is really easy to measure and we see momentum to get us excited to keep going? Yeah, so so I, I have done many live workshops and and one of the... I guess the few quantitative sort of things that I can analyze afterwards is if people fill out a feedback form, right? And and if I'm consistently getting a lot of positive feedback from those people, then I think, okay, well, I must have done a good job if they enjoyed it and they felt like they got good value out of it. But really, to your point, you know, if you're doing weightlifting, you can tell if you have increased your weight by 10% over the last you know period of time. So, so what then are you able to do if you can't really quantify your your speaking ability, like? How, what does that look like? Absolutely, David. So communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, right? One of those balls is smiling, pausing, vocal tone, variety, facial expressions. So for me, the simple idea has become, what are the three easiest balls to juggle that I call my easy threes? If we do those three things, then it becomes easy to practice speaking. Let's jump into number one, the random word exercise. Pick a word like phone, like theater, like chair, like headset, and create random presentations out of thin air on the spot, David, for mm. 60 seconds. And this serves two main purposes. Number one, it helps you deal with uncertainty. Life is filled with it as business owners, people looking to buy a business as executives. We're always in rooms, sales calls, conferences, where we have to deal with odd situations. I'm sure we've all been on that prospecting call where the person asks us the most random question in the world. Like, what, what is this person so weird? Like, how do you deal with this situation? And then the other piece to that, and people can write this down if they want. If you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. So if you can talk about avocado toast for 30 seconds, David... Your subject matter expertise, you could talk about all day long. But the trick here is you have to book it in your calendar. If you have kids listening to this, do this with your children. If you have colleagues at work, do this with colleagues. Before a meeting starts, do the random word exercise. And the way we measure it is we don't get points for doing it well. We just get points for doing it 100 times. And that's how we quantify the progress. All right. So so it's about doing the activity. So, so much like in goal setting, you know, when, if I'm talking to someone about setting a goal, you know, they might say, well, my goal is to sell this much this quarter. I'll say, no, you don't control that because you don't, you don't control that people are going to buy from you. But what you do control is you control, you know, making a hundred appointments or something like this. And so that's the thing you want to measure because it is within your control. And so simply doing the random word exercise a hundred times by putting in your calendar for a block of time every week, like this is something you can control and you can do it over and over. It's it's funny. 
uh, because when you were talking about it, I was thinking about, again, in my, in my past, in my college days, again, um, I was uh, part of the student radio station, uh, college radio, back before podcasting was a thing. And when we would interview prospective people that wanted to have shows, one of the things we would do in the interviews, we would have what we called the composure test, where one of the three interviewers would just start either behaving awkwardly or randomly or like climb up on a chair and start, you know, hooting around like a monkey or something. And the whole idea was just to see what the reaction of the person was if they froze up or if they were able to like, like keep rolling with the situation, because in, in live radio, you you couldn't have people that would just be quiet. You know, you, you, you couldn't have the dead air. Right. And so, so this is interesting. Okay. So, so you're doing things like the random word test with your coaching clients. What, like when you were talking about the 18 different balls, I was kind of thinking about a sport like gymnastics, you know, where, where there's um, judges but they're looking for certain things, right? They're looking for different movements or whatever that the that the that the competitor is doing, and so are you know? Do you do that? Like, do you watch people give a presentation and kind of keep track of things like their pauses, their their you know, the meter of their delivery and all this kind of thing? Absolutely, David. And and there's two parts to that. The first one is realizing that it's not really about saying, hey jenny or james you're only able to juggle nine out of the 18 so you suck or else it gets too granular and that which is the second part one ball at a time so when i'm starting to coach a client david the, let's say we take the random word x and i'm happy to talk about the, the other balls but going to the first one it sounds so simple right because it's not it's it's a lot easier than even 100 appointments because at least for 100 appointments which which I totally relate to is you you need to actually book them you have to create leads either you create trainings you have to get those appointments and it even takes time to generate 100 appointments let alone do them but with communication and random word exercises you could be done 100 random word exercises in literally 10 days but i have never met one person who hasn't been coached that has done 100 random word exercises on their own so that's really the point that i want to drive for people listening mm. is that seems like simple such a simple idea but going back to what a top one percent communicator is in our industry what i mean by that is simply what are you willing to do that 99 percent of the people in your industry are not willing to do and surprisingly david nobody's willing to book five minutes in their calendar five minutes to do the random word exercise five times a day for three weeks that's it. Like not even every week for the rest of your life, just three weeks period. And that's really where we begin the conversation. Isn't that amazing? Like, you know, everyone who's tuned in, like, listen to that. I mean, the difference between, you know, being stagnant in your level of skill and not is just the willingness to create a recurring event in your Google calendar that says, do this thing. And then do it when it comes up. Don't put it off. You know, it's it's just doing the work. It's as simple as that. So, so what would the other two balls be? Absolutely, David. So ball number two is the question drill. We get asked questions all the time in our life. At school, at work, on a podcast like this one. But most of us are not comfortable answering the questions that life gives us. I'll give you an example with me. When I got started on podcasts, I sucked. I was super bad. I remember some guy asked me, hey, where Brendan, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at the guy and I was like, I don't know, man. Los Angeles? 
Moncton? You tell me. I don't know where the fear of communication comes from. So I was a zero. So how did I fix this? Every single day, David, for five minutes, just five minutes, I answered one question that I thought the world would ask me about my expertise, my products, or my services. So day one was, hey, Brandon, how do you overcome the fear of speaking? Day two is, where does that fear come from? Day three is, what tips do you have for introverts? But if you answer one question like that a day, David, just one for five minutes, and you do it for a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about your industry, and you'll be bulletproof. Yeah, and and even if you can't quite remember what one of those are, just the the fact that you are now used to this thinking on your feet is going to make it so much easier for you to say something that's going to sound okay. You got it. You got it. And and then the other point that I usually don't mention on other pod, but I'll mention it here. You know, I, I got a lot of my question drill training in case competitions because you're you're speaking to really high level executives. You cannot mess up the Q and A period because if you do, you'll lose all the credibility you just built up in the entire presentation. You'll lose the case competition. So a lot of this was was ingrained to me really early in my career. And it's just I realized that's one of those ideas that nobody really shares in the for the public. Who, who don't do those types of activities. So what is interesting to me is that we're talking about preparing yourself to communicate and talk publicly. But when you talk about preparation and, and training, you're not actually, one of the things I would have imagined that you might've said is go find places where you can speak to people, you know, more frequently, but that's not one of the top things that you advise people to do. What, when should somebody be looking for more opportunities to actually get some experience in front of a crowd of people? For sure, David, I'll tell you why, because that's a very astute observation on your part. The reason I don't is because the challenge I've seen with this industry, it's, it's essentially, I've seen a lot of gaping holes. That's why I thought I could do something about it is that creates a lot of friction because if the advice is this is how you go find a gig, I know from experience of talking to so many people who listen to my message, they don't actually do it. So for me, that's more ball 10 or ball eight because if you're not willing to book five minutes in your calendar every day to practice the random word exercise, which you could literally do alone in your bathroom with nobody else watching. I'm hard pressed to believe that you're going to take more time out of your schedule to go find speaking engagements. So that's the why behind that process to really get everyone to take action. Because for me, speaking is a lot broader than just public speaking. So for you, public speaking is super relevant, right? You have a business, go speak on a stage, you'll get more clients, you'll get more sales, you'll create more impact. But, but if you're an executive in a company, yeah, you might have to give some industry conferences, but communication is much broader. It's how do we talk to people? How do we give people feedback? Which brings me to the other part, which is when we share an idea, when we communicate in general, and we get asked these tough questions, if we know how to deal with them, we'll be great. And then if we ever want to speak on stage, the advice for me just becomes create your own stage. Like the way that I started is I just opened a Zoom call. When I was a college student, mind you, remember, I didn't even have a business. It's just, hey, I'm opening a Zoom call. Guys, jump on the Zoom call. I'm giving a workshop on communication. I just did that every two weeks until I became the person I am today for free. That's that's cool. That's really great. Um, so we've got, uh, we've got a bunch of comments that are popping up here. Victor says, it's amazing how simple it is to excel. Just do the basic extremely well. Absolutely. Uh, he also likes the the random word exercise. Thanks, Victor. Um, so, you know, 
communication, if we're going to broaden this from just talking in front of people, if we're going to talk about communication in general, do, do you think that there are any particular challenges that younger generations face because they've grown up in more of an electronic handheld, you know, smartphone kind of world? Um, because I mean, you know, I'm, I'm technically Gen X, you know, I was born in 75. So I remember the internet and in what came around really in my first year of university and then smartphones, you know, later on in my twenties. Um, but some people have grown up with that kind of technology their whole life. They've never really had the same kind of, you know, I, my first jobs were all like talking to people on the phone or going and visiting people face to face. And I'm finding that I'm meeting people who haven't had that same kind of background in their life. Do you think that there are particular challenges with different generations? For sure. But what I what I feel is missed in those types of conversations is also the the positive. So I'll give you the balance mm -hmm. to you. So the first part is exactly what you touched upon. Why is it that older people have a lot more experience talking to people, engaging with people? And the answer is really simple. Optionality and convenience. So you didn't really have a choice, David, in the 80s and 90s. It's like you have to pick up a phone. There's yeah. cell phones don't really exist. You can what's a text? Like long distance phone calls were like five dollars a minute or whatever the cost was. So so you have they to, were pricey. Yeah. yeah, they were pricey. So so as human beings, it's not really older or younger. It's just a human being trade in general. Is we always pick the option that is most convenient, and that is not just true with business dating too. Like why do you have to go up to people and ask them on a date in the seventies? Because there's no apps. Like you have to. You don't really have a choice. So what's happened with the younger generation? Is it because they're worse than us? No, right? Which I'm technically a part of, I guess, technically, like in general, is it's more so the fact that they have more optionality. If I have the choice between asking somebody on a date in person and getting rejected in person and sending a quick text and getting rejected that way or an app, I'll just pick the easier option. Same thing with getting on a call or now a lot of these things are done through online meetings or just through emails that are shot back and forth. So that means the younger generation has less practice time. But there's also a big benefit that younger generations have that, that isn't often talked about, which is it's a lot easier for you to meet people who have similar interests as you. So you're more mm. incentivized to go deeper with those people. So my, my summary here, David, is technology is a tool. But it's a double-edged sword. And unfortunately, most people, especially younger generations, they're using that tool in the wrong way versus using it in the right way, which is to find amazing people. Like we never would have met each other if it wasn't for this medium. And now we have we're ha we have a friendship now that's built. And if I'm ever in Moncton, which I don't think I'll ever be, but if I am ever there, then you know, there, there's a conversation that goes a lot deeper because we're in person, we know each other already. Yeah, it, it's so true. I remember, um, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, I had a I had a, a computer at home and, and, um, you know, I remember hunting through like the classified ads of computer magazines to find like subscriptions to newsletters where other people would like share ideas, like just the stuff that people would put into a Facebook group today, right? And just how difficult it was to find those types of communities and how much effort you had to expend in order to do that. And so basically it, it was so much harder to, to get any amount of depth on any one particular topic. And, it, you know, this YouTube channel is an example of that. I mean, we, we spend all of our time talking about these small business issues and, you know, in, in the prior world, you know, maybe there'd be a, a magazine or a weekly television show for half an hour or something. And that was like it, that was the whole 
access to the conversation for anyone that that wasn't able to to create that group for themselves directly. Absolutely. We've got we've got more people popping in. Kevin saying hello. Kevin's in Central Florida. Good to see you today, Kevin. Um, and um, the HMS Surprise, who you see sailing over the horizon, says, "Well said about the double-edged sword of technology." Thanks a lot. Um, so. For somebody, you know, who wants to develop themselves better, I mean, obviously, if some if it's really important for somebody to be a better communicator and there's serious money on the line, then this is the type of person who should be looking at you for some one on one coaching. Right. For someone else who maybe doesn't have the budget and, you know, what should they be doing? Your YouTube channel is is all about this. Absolutely, David. And and I'm a big proponent of that. You know, if you don't have a budget for a speech coach, that's one of the things you could do, right? You can go to YouTube. I've, we have a great YouTube channel called Master Talk where you have hundreds of free videos online. And the other piece that I'd recommend as well, that is, of course, in the free category, is build a peer group around you. You know, what I found with my executive clients, honestly, outside of like the other clients they meet in our ecosystem, they get a lot of practice in with their family. It doesn't even feel mm. like a chore. Like, let's say my 45-year-old senior-level executive at IBM, when he's driving his kids to school, like his eight-year-old daughter or something, he's not playing music. He's going, hey, let's do the random word exercise, Jules. You give me like a pineapple and then I'll – and it's fun, right? And that's really the key. Integrate it in your family life. Find people around you. And we also have a – I forgot to mention this. We also have a free communication workshop that people could tend to. And where can people find that? And that's rockstarcommunicator.com. Rockstarcommunicator.com. That's great. Um, I'll, I'll include that in the notes here after we wrap up. Um, and so, you know, another Cherie says, good afternoon, everyone. Hey, Cherie, how are you? Um, so this has been great. Um, can you share any uh, sort of uh, examples of big wins with people that you worked with that have been able to really improve their success in business or their career by working on communication? Yeah, for sure, David. You know, for me, the, the stories that always get me excited is is the entrepreneur who is really, really good at what they do, but they're really, really bad at communicating their value in a way that people feel the same way about them, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a typical example. One of my clients is a PhD in organic chemistry. She is super brilliant, right? She went to McGill, got, got all the right accolades, has an amazing product right around nail polish where you can put little glasses on your nails and you can change the colors of the nail polish with a mobile app it's brilliant tech so that women wow. don't have to redo their they don't have to keep redoing their nail polish and you have unlimited color choice but the problem is she's really nervous she doesn't want to get up on stage at least she used to right she doesn't want to do interviews she doesn't want to do panels she doesn't want to do podcasts like this so yes, did I get rid of her ums and ahs? Absolutely. Did I help her smile more effectively? For sure. But I think the biggest result was helping her change her identity from being a researcher to being the CEO of a big company. And mm. and by telling her, hey, look, it's it's the way that you show up in the world that inspires people to want to work for you, that gets you capital that you need to raise money on this or else you cannot build this tech out at scale. And for you to sell more customers. If you go and give an interview in front of like 300 women and you give a really inspiring story, pretty sure 10% of them are going to buy what you have. So that's really the key. And I'm really proud of her success, but I have very little to do with it. I think all of credit goes to her. 
it's 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 um it's interesting to me you know like we, we would there's obviously a relationship between your communication skill and your self-image right and and self-image would be changing over the course of time as somebody worked on developing these skills absolutely right Sorry, I didn't. Uh, I thought you just want. I wasn't sure. But yes, so yes, there is a relationship between communication and and self image in the sense that here's the way I explain it. But then jump in with your thoughts as well, David. I got it from Ving Zhang, who's also one of the top communication experts in the world. And what he said was, if you're ten out of ten talent, like a nine out of ten, ten out of ten talent. Let's say you're an engineer, you're a business owner, but you're a six out of ten on communication internally you'll still be perceived as a 10 because people know your reputation oh okay wow this person delivers great work but externally the world will perceive you as a six out of ten because you're a terrible communicator because they haven't seen the quality of the work that you provide mm -hmm. clients they haven't seen what you actually do how committed you are how how many late nights you spend getting the job done so the external world will judge you based on your communication skills that's why it's important for you to level up your communication to match the talent you have as an executive or as a business owner so you get the results that you deserve. What sort of things do you do regularly to make sure that you're on top of your communication game? I mean, these interviews are part of that, David. I get very little business from I can this. see that, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I do a lot of these interviews to stay sharp with clients that's that's one big piece second is of course i think the best coaches have coaches that's my personal belief so so i definitely uh, invest an arm and a leg in, in my one-on-one -on -one coach and he and he's the one who's always giving me critical feedback on how to improve like especially when i was much younger probably i've been doing this for eight years now which was a long time so when i started i was very immature Right, you know, and I was dealing with a lot of high-level people, so my coach really helped me kind of level up my maturity level. So it was easy. now it's a lot easier for me to deal with those types of situations. And then the third one is is to always recognize, like Alex Hormozzi says, is if there's somebody who's beating you in any area of your life, there's a lesson you need to learn, regardless of what you think of them. Right, so it's the same thing for me. I always look at people like Grant Cardone, like Gary Vaynerchuk, whether we like these people or not. There's always something that we can learn from them. That we're not implementing, and I'm always I'm always keeping tabs on how I could be better. That's great. So, uh, rockstarcommunicator.com is the name of the site where people can find your your free online class that that they can take, and then they can learn more about you there if if they want to step up to that one on one offering that you have. You got it. So the training that we have is uh, is actually live, so it's not a recorded session. I do it every two weeks. So people can literally jump in and I facilitate it. And then if they want to learn more about the programs, there's a CTA, a call to action at the end of that free training to just book a call with us and talk. Awesome. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I think it's been great chatting and, and thanks for bringing back all the memories of those case study competitions. Uh, they were a lot of fun and uh, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Likewise, David, such a treat. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Uh, we got more people in here. Kelly says, great idea for the five minute a day exercise. Uh, she's joining us from uh, Arn Pryor, Ontario. Good to have you. Um, and for, uh, you know, everyone else who's, who's listened, who's enjoyed today's show, please don't forget, give it a thumbs up. It really helps the algorithm. And, um, if you think someone else should be tuning into these shows, share it with them. Uh, the number one way that people discover new podcasts and YouTube channels is by recommendations from their friends.
So, so please remember to like, remember to share and, and personally tell someone if you think that they might enjoy this program. And with that, we're going to say, see you later. And I'll join you next time. Yeah, I got to play the, I got to play the ad now. This is, this is important. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and have gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.